This is the Humanity First podcast presented by Bamsey. I am Chris Ryan along with Peter Evers, and we're going to be bringing this podcast each week, taking a look at what's going on inside the walls of Bamsey and how it affects individuals here in the uh, greater community as well as the state of Massachusetts and across the country as well, as there's a lot of issues that are unique to communities, but also a lot of issues that connect communities and need to be addressed. And as the the name would signify, uh, we're focused on the human condition. We're focused on how uh, individuals um, are connected as opposed to different. And we are all humans first, and each individual deserves a opportunity to live life to its greatest extent imaginable for that individual. And that is the goal that I think we both share, and it is the goal that I think Bamsey has as well. A little bit myself before we introduce uh, Peter. Um, I've been a talk show host for, for many years at this point in time. Um, covered sports in Boston for nearly uh, 20 years. The Red Sox, Celtics, Patriots, uh, and Bruins. Uh, I've been involved in the New Hampshire primary uh, covering candidates and campaigns for many years. I've served as a contributor on New England Cable News and uh, I'm excited to be working with uh, Peter here on this uh, podcast and his new endeavor as a CEO of uh, BAMSI. Thank you, Chris. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this uh, podcast. Um, Chris and I have worked together over the years uh, on a couple of other endeavors um, and um, really take the time to pull apart some of the issues that affect the human condition, as you say. Um, and, you know, the last six months or so during this uh, COVID-19 epidemic have really pulled back the curtain on the human condition itself. Um, there are a few times in history where entire populations have been traumatized by uh, events. I think about the Second World War, the First World War, the flu pandemic mm -hmm. of uh, of 1918 uh, and of course 9-11 and there are real common uh, traits that come through that that um, we all knew where we were when this began we all know somebody or, or know somebody who knows somebody who has lost somebody uh, in this pandemic or who has been affected by COVID many of us lost, have lost our jobs and have been pitched into economic turmoil and many of the people that have had that experience are those people who weren't doing so well to start with who have been really at the uh, at the margins uh, and this COVID-19 epidemic in some ways has shown a light on some of the in inequities that exist in our society and I want to talk about that I want to have that conversation as it affects the people in our communities uh, people who have disabilities uh, people who are uh, minorities uh, and people who just live from paycheck to paycheck. This is the ability, I think, uh, in, uh, to have an open conversation about that, about, the, about what's now uh, and what's going to be the future for this country and for our agency here, uh, and how is that going to be affected. And I suppose most importantly, what can we learn from some of the things that have happened over the last six months that we can put right, that we can strive to gain uh, equity around and advocate for, for people who are less well-off than ourselves. Yeah, I mean, let's start off with what I think is a really basic statement, but one um, that I think needs to be recognized. And the last six months have been the most challenging that uh, individuals alive at this point have ever faced. And you, know, you mentioned some of the challenges the country has faced before, but you know the economic 
uncertainty and the health uncertainty and, you know, the um, concerns around uh, racial injustice of this time period um, and what that means makes this unlike any other. Um, We have had moments in which we have been at war. We have had moments in which we have been um, economically uh, depressed, as many individuals still alive who lived through the Great Depression, but never have we had all these things at once. And um, that is what makes this time period so challenging. And you're right in that it gets more challenging for individuals who already are um, struggling. And those struggles have been magnified during this time period. Um, and they've also you know, increased to a large degree as well. So I think that the first thing that everybody has to do is acknowledge that the, the time period is challenging. And what makes it so challenging is that we don't quite know how to deal with it from a mental perspective. If there is a war, there is a good guy and there's a bad guy. If there is, um, you know, a, a challenge that's in front of you, you do everything in your power in order to confront that challenge and to solve the problem or to overcome the adversity that is in front of you. This is an environment where we're looking to blame other people and we have various disagreements, which in the context of history will seem so <laughs> ridiculous, <laughs> whether it's the, the fight over masks or whatever the case may be, we will look back and say, how trivial, how could people have possibly fought over that? That's because we are conditioned to fight battles versus good versus evil. And the greatest challenge of all of this is that in economic uncertainty, um, you can have your livelihood taken away from you or diminished. And we are so often tying our own self-worth into that livelihood. And if you lose your job or if you have your furloughed, you see your hours reduced, very often individuals look at that and say, that is saying that I am not as good as I thought I was. And I mean, that is what is so challenging about this time period in in my view, is that um, we cannot specifically point to ways to make things better. And a lot of the things that we're being told, you know, to focus on yourself, um, to go out, to um, get more fresh air, to exercise more, to look at the things that you can control, to stay inside, not go out as much. You know, it's you want to be able to go out and solve a problem. That is who we are as people. And instead, we're saying, no, no, just 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 go in, go inward and focus on you know, yourself and your own personal well-being, your family's well-being, and let this just play out. Yeah, I think so. And I don't, you know, I think at various points in our history, I always say we've never been more divided. And I hear that a lot. Yep. And then somebody will say, well, Andrew Jackson. And so, you know, there, there, of course, there are many periods right. where we have been. But I, I mean, would, if you're living back in the the 1700s and you didn't have electricity and you know you were didn't know what your next day was going to bring if your whole family was going to die from typhoid fever or whatever um that was pretty tough right. so, right. so i'm gonna That's i'm right. not gonna go back and say it's it's right. tougher than than that but it is I, we have to acknowledge that the difficulty but also the fact that we can overcome this yeah well and and i suppose what i was thinking was 
the the common enemy thing which you talked right. about you know even when you think about 9/11 that was Osama bin Laden and the and the countries that could sort of get behind that right was, and rally together as one in order to right and there were only fringe organizations that perhaps didn't believe conspiracy theorists or whatever this though I think is different for me and and I think it affects people because I have never heard two sort of bipolar opposite opinions about why we're in this crisis yep. from those people think that it's a hoax to those people who think that we should never go out again and and there's this uh, and and the blame and the uh, apportioning blame and pitting communities against each other is I think and the reality of it is like you have a group of individuals that think that this is not worth their time and that they shouldn't be concerned about this at all and they should go on living their everyday lives to individuals who literally want to shut down the entire country, the economy, and think that everybody should just stay home and that nothing should take place. And granted, those are small minorities, but say like 20% and 20% and like 60% are in the middle. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so there, the messages, we, you know, the social media message, media outlets now always, I mean, people, and we've had this conversation before, Chris, that people um, gra- sort of decide that they will listen to what they believe in. And there's so many opportunities to do that. Um, and I would certainly, uh, and I've, uh, I would encourage people to have uh, conversations with people who don't think the same as you do and find some common ground about this. But yeah, these are really unusual But it seems like times. we're too fragile for that. It yeah. seems like we're, we're too fragile to have those, um, those conversations and that um, we're becoming more divided because it's easier to cling to whatever your beliefs are. And instead of having that common ground in the central in the center, it's gone in in complete you know opposite directions. And even the center may be working more towards whichever polar uh, opposite yeah. they yeah. feel more more comfortable with. And you know that's obviously a a, a big problem for our for our country. And um, it's one that you know you look out and you want to have the answers, but I I don't see you know a resolution uh, on this, and it just it just continues to move in that in that direction. I mean, the only possible resolution that I could see is that if you have a a rise in the center, people want to work together, and there is a seeming seemingly there is results that come from that. Um, you know. In the early portion of the pandemic, there were governors who were Republicans who did certain mm-hmm. things that were overwhelmingly popular in you know, Democratic states um, or across the country. And there were Democratic governors who were overwhelmingly popular across the board because they were acting in a common sense way that seemed like it was for you know the public good. And as a result of that, the public liked it. But um, so when leadership steps up and it has the ability to bring people together from the center, whether it's in government or in um, you know, civilian life, it can we still can have those moments where we're not um, polar opposites and where people work together for the common good. But it seems like it's moved in the complete opposite direction where even at um, the very local level, whether a town is debating a mask ordinance or not, is based upon whether there's more Republican or Democratic ideology, liberal or progressive ideology versus conservative ideology, instead of what is for the common good. And I think that for an organization like this and for 
many others across the country. I mean, this should be a very eye-opening period where what's best for all humanity is not necessarily what's on the table at this point. It's what plays best with the mindset of certain individuals, whether they're on the left or they're right, and there is no common good. Like, the masks is an, ex- an example. Like, science says that it makes more sense to wear a mask and that it helps people. Um, now, do you have to wear it all the time? Do you have to wear it in your car? Do you have to wear No, <laughs> science doesn't say yeah. that. But people on the left will say, yeah. wear the mask all the time. People on the right say, don't need a mask yeah. at all. Yeah. And instead of what's doing for, but instead of, you know, looking at it from the public good perspective, we're looking at things from a ideological perspective. And that is, and should be, in my view, a concern for folks. I think so. I mean, what really worries me is the weaponization of science here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I saw a protest yesterday where people were saying a mask is a muzzle, you know, where, as you say, the scientific evidence is, is to, the, uh, to the opposite of that. But you're not going to be able to have that conversation while our politicians are weaponizing, you know, what they see uh, fits their narrative. And I think it's up to organizations like us to, regardless of what the message is, stay true to what our message is, Mm -hmm. which is that we have services that are helpful to people. And you said it right at the beginning of this program, that we will help individuals reach their maximum potential whether that's people with serious and persistent mental illness or people with developmental disabilities and families, of course. And how do we bring those folks together? And how do we tell the truth? And how are we, there's a, there's a word called factfulness that is going around that you may have seen, which is, you know, just deal with the facts, just deal with the truth, listen to the science, and we'll be fine. And don't weaponize against each other. And I would say that's on both sides of the political mm-hmm. spectrum. But we have to be grounded. We have to, we have to have an anchor here where we say we know at BAMSI and all of those other human service agencies, we know what our principles are. They're person-centered. They're strength-based. They are allowing people the dignity of risk to meet their maximum potential. And, if, and, and those, are pretty, those are pretty solid beliefs that we have, even when we've been buffeted by the winds of political um, expediency if you want uh, and we need to be having that conversation continually about what we believe is is right from the health perspective and after all we are a health agency uh, and we listen to the science yeah i think that's so important in that um you know there are individuals that are in need and um that should be you know the goal of any um, elected official. We've talked a lot about politics so far, but, but <laughs> I think it's important that you, that we do so, particularly during election season. And you know, the question that, in my view, should be asked of um, whether it's a Democratic candidate or Republican candidate is, you know, what are you going to do to work together to create change? What are you going to do to make individuals' lives better and to allow for them to achieve their their full potential. Uh, for years and years and years, we have seen uh, signature legislation that um, would help in a number of different areas stall um, as a result of both parties being unable to get along, most recently on the issues of, um, uh, of uh, race equality and police brutality. Um, nothing has happened because you know, a cynical individual would say that it benefits both sides for nothing mm-hmm. to, to happen. 
And, you know, we can't continue to see uh, stalemates because organizations like this and others are reliant upon consistency and reliability from government in order to continue to do the work that um, needs to be done in communities. And, you know, one of, I think, a lot of people's concerns is that everything has become so focused on political polarization Mm -hmm. and COVID-19 that, um, you know, the work that needs to be done here in regards to behavioral health, uh, helping individuals with developmental disabilities, um, trauma, brain injuries, and, you know, the individuals that very often live in the shadows and that... um, don't and shouldn't live in the shadows. They should be at the forefront of our minds. And I think that it's in part um, our job here to put individuals in the forefront of our minds because we are as a human race only as free and equal as every individual is. And um, I think that that's something that is obviously significant. Yeah, and sometimes you have to put your head above the parapet a little bit. And Bamsey certainly did that, um, you know, after George Floyd's murder. And we made a statement, which was that we believe that the work we do is all about social justice and racial justice, especially with the people that we serve. Um, And sometimes you're going to lose friends doing that because we are, in some ways, a house divided in this country. Um, You know, somebody said to me the other day that the most distressing thing that is after Sandy Hook, which another thing everybody remembers, um, nothing changed in terms of legislation. That was eight years ago. That's right. And when you think about it, the reason it didn't change is because one side had a very different uh, opinion about how you could fix it to the other side. So one side said you've got to arm teachers. The other side said you've got to take guns away from people. And if if those people believe in their heart that that's the solution, you couldn't be further apart. And I agree with you in some ways that oftentimes it's easier not to have a solution. It's easier to sort of bumble along politically and uh, and, and and sort of keep in your side of the house and keep your people happy. I think agencies like ours should be advocating and saying there is an uncomfortable middle ground. There is a way that we can play the role of bringing people together. Uh, and, you know, the work that we've done in the, in the past, Chris, in, with substance use disorder and mental health, there is common ground for political parties mm-hmm. around those two issues because this is an equal opportunity to uh, right. disease. It affects people from all classes, all races, um, and the solution is in the middle. Yeah, and you know, I'm speaking specifically to those issues, um, one thing that is true is that life across the board matters. And if you want individuals to be able to live to the fullest extent um, of their lives, um, you need to care for them. And we also know what happens uh, if individuals aren't um, under treatment and that there's various challenges from financial, uh, from a criminal perspective, and that um, that becomes a cost that society has to bear. So from a Republican perspective, you talk about the fiscal responsibility and the fact that it makes more sense from a fiscal standpoint to um, provide treatment as opposed to incarcerate uh, individuals. And, you know, that's a something that makes a tremendous amount of sense and an argument that is data-driven that um, works from a Republican perspective. From a, from a Democratic perspective, 
there is the the social justice piece and the fact that um, you know we are all um, in this together. And I think that to a large degree, um, that's true amongst Republicans as well. If you can make the argu- argument uh, correctly, in that um, to be pro-life uh, from an evangelical perspective, in my view, is to be pro-life <laughs> and all lives, all, all, all lives life. matter from conception to death. I mean, that is what being pro-life is, in my view. Whether a person is incarcerated or if a person is, you know, living a model life as an individual. All life matters. Yeah. I think one of the things that we've done over the years is begin to lay, label people and put them in, you know, certain categories. And in some ways, you lose that compassionate um, belief system mm-hmm. that I think, and, I, and we haven't lost it completely, but it's eroded somewhat. Because if you think of somebody as the enemy, and, and let's face it, this last four years have really been divisive in mm-hmm. in a way. And, and I think people on the right would say the same thing about the Obama administration. I, I totally get that, mm-hmm. although I would debate them about it. But really, everything that has been done is about dividing people, whether it be over immigration, whether it be, uh, a, for instance, a tweet that says something like, you in suburbia won't have to worry about poor people moving into your mm-hmm. neighborhoods. You know, that is a divisive statement. Mm-hmm. And so we get into these we get into these pockets of resistance and I'll say it hate mm-hmm. in some ways and it's much much more difficult to be compassionate towards somebody who you've put into one of those um, categories and we need to get out of that right and we need we, compassion has to be the thing that leads us out of that and I I'm very optimistic that it will yeah I, I think um, po- the nature of politics because how it, it works is to um, create enemies and to have a us versus them type of mentality. And we have never seen the type of divisiveness that exists currently, but that divisiveness has existed for a long period of time. It's a significant part of our of our country. Um, what's different is that a lot of the aspects of division that are used readily are being called out. And um, whether it's people on the right calling out the mainstream media for doing certain things and labeling and categorizing or vice versa. And everyone is screaming about one another about how they're being um, uh, misrepresented. So those things are all at play. And, you know, the question is in this form via this podcast or via the work of this organization – how do we fight through the noise and the the rhetoric and you know, put our heads down and do the work that needs to be done to um, give a voice and a platform of equality to those who have been marginalized due to race, due to um, developmental disabilities, due to many other different factors? And that, I think, is our focus. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the things that bring us together are the common experiences that we have. You know, one of my best friends in college was a Sikh from India and um, had a completely different upbringing from me, had an arranged marriage. But we had these common themes and purposes. We both love to play cricket. We both love to go out. We both – and those things – were the most important things, not our differences. And I think, I think the remit of this 
uh, podcast and the work we do is to show people the common themes of humanity that exists within us all. Even if it's somebody with severe uh, developmental disabilities, there's a story there. There's a compassion there. There's a resilience there. And there is a and, and there's a hope and, and joy that families experience. Even with the person who has severe and persistent mental illness, if that person is working 40 hours a week uh, for Lowe's or for uh, an organization that is contributing to the economy and tells that story about being at work, uh, being able to pay the rent, we begin then to sow these seeds of hope and compassion and success because people tend to think of uh, long-term chronic illnesses as this downward slide towards a depressive end. It's not like that at all. People's stories are emboldening. They're, they're, they're uplifting. And the people that do the work as well, you know, they're not going to be well off. They're not going to be rich. Maybe they will be. Maybe they have a career uh, to think about. But the work that they're doing is so important because it's this network of compassion that lifts us all up. Uh, those are the stories that I want to tell. I want our staff and the people and our people served to have a platform to tell their stories so that their lives become much more in line with the hopes uh, and the fears uh, of, uh, of the listeners. It's really easy to fall into some of the, uh, the negativity that exists and to you know, get depressed looking at from today to you know, whatever, the, um, whatever the end is, so to speak. But we all need to take joy in the little things throughout the course of your day and of your life. And in talking with folks here at Bamsey over the last uh, few weeks and months, um, that is something that is always here, is that there is always hope to be taken from workers, to be taken from persons served, and the little joys and successes along the way should be celebrated and should be um, held with you and not just cast aside in the overarching aspect of your life or your day or your week, month, or year. Celebrate the, the little things. Enjoy those, um, those little things because they're not little. Um, they could be something that turns your day, turns the other individual's day, or is something that sticks with you for the course of your lifetime. And you know, that is, you know, the, the positive, um, in my view, is <laughs> that we can all take from is to enjoy every little aspect of, of life. So I suppose the, uh, to emphasize that point, Chris, I have a, um, a young client. She's 28 years old. She's a single mom, person of color, raising three children uh, in a shelter. Um, and recently lost her job because of COVID and um, is not at college. Now that sounds, she is in college, but she can't go back to college because of COVID. That sounds like a very disastrous story. But from her, I was in tears last week because she said, and you know what? I'm going to get through this because I've got a plan and I want to get back to work and my kids have to be enrolled in school. And I have a plan to do that. And I'm going to do well, and I'm going to succeed, and my kids are going to succeed as well. And that kind of resilience really washes away much of the negativity that we have. These are the people that we deal with. These are not people who are hopeless. They're people who are driven to succeed. They just need some help along Mm -hmm. the way. And, you know, obviously conditions are a big part of success, 
but a huge part of success also is attitude. And you can either sit and think that this is the, the situation is horrible and I have no future and this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Or you could say, yeah, this is bad, but you know what? I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to, even in the most dire of circumstances, I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm going to, to push myself because that's what I want to do. Right. And uh, that attitude is just so awesome to hear from an individual. And it, it is one that is consistent amongst people that um, may fall down but pick themselves that's up. Right. So great first pos- podcast here on uh, Humanity First uh, with uh, Bamsey CEO Peter Evers. And next week we're going to talk with Aisha Bonnie, And she's going to join us to discuss um, the COVID-19 environment and behavioral health and how that's affected Bamsey. Peter, as always, great to see you. Thank you. Yes, you too. 